Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 7.30 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. <laughs> Alright, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to Never Heard of It, a Night Shift Radio production. are going to talk about Pedro Pascal today. And Pedro Pascal is one of those um, actors that mm-hmm. like came out of nowhere for me. Mm. Not that I didn't really like know who he was, but he was one of those actors that it was always like, oh yeah, that guy. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh right, that guy. Like he's in fucking everything right now. I actually didn't know who he was until uh, Wonder Woman 84. And I looked him up and then realized everyone was making references to him being uh, the Mandalorian, which at of, times, uh, of course, yeah. you, you know that I have not yet seen. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, my first encounter with him that I know of. I, I may have seen him elsewhere. I honestly don't remember at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's been in a few things. Um, uh, obviously, previous to this, he was uh, Oberyn in um, Game of Thrones. Uh, he was in uh, the sequel to Kingsman. Um, he was in The Great Wall, but we're not going to hold that against him. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he, he's been in... Th- I mean, uh, so obviously, most notably, he was in Narcos. Um, he was in uh, The Mentalist, Graceland, Game of Thrones, Homeland, uh, Nikita, CSI. Hey, <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yes. Uh, all things that I have not seen. So really there's uh, yeah. good reason for me to have never encountered him prior. He, he was in Law and Order SVU, Nurse Jackie. Yeah. Like he's been in tons and tons of things, but again, he's one of those people that's like, Oh, that guy. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, I feel like, um, Oh crap! I'm gonna completely space on his name. Um, Poe Dameron. What? What's his name? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like either. he he was another one of those guys that just kind of came out of nowhere as well. Yeah. That all of a sudden, like you know, and obviously it was because of Poe Dameron, but all of a sudden he was like mm-hmm. the the on demand uh, uh, actor uh, for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, which again is really odd to me because I feel like. Um, uh, Finn, who I've forgotten his name as well. I'm having a bad day with names, apparently. Yeah. Um, but I feel like he should have been the one that everyone was like, "Oh, that guy," because like that was kind of like, um, w- what it was right from from the get go is because he had already been known from a really really great Alien Invasion movie called Attack the Block. Mm. Well, what's his name? Yeah. So you were thinking of uh. Finn is John Boyega, and Oscar John Isaac Boyega. is Poe uh, po Oscar Isaac. Ugh, I forgot both their names. I forgot right. everyone's name. That's, but yeah, you know John what? Boyega... I, I had to look it up. Don't. Right? 
I know. Well, that's the thing. I knew their names and I know their names. I've seen, you know, I've seen them. I've talked about them. Um, but uh, John Boyega, that's another one. Like I expected him to be, uh, to be uh, more um, like Oscar Isaac, like in, in higher demand um, because of uh, Star Wars. But this again goes back to the whole thing that, um, you know, the force awakens definitely was written as Finn being, you know, the come from nothing and become a Jedi thing. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. somebody was like, no, it should be a white person instead. And then mm -hmm. the whole movie just fucking went to shit. Mm -hmm. Um, not that I don't like Ray. I do. I do. I don't mind the movies. Uh, they're not great, but they're still star Wars movies. So I'll watch them. But like Finn being the Jedi, like coming from nothing, being a literal nobody, revolting against the, the the Empire, and then just becoming a Jedi would have been the better story. I actually really thought that uh, it was The Force Awakens, right? That was the, the first of the yeah. new trilogy? I thought that The Force Awakens was steering us in a direction that uh, Finn and Rey were both going to become Jedi and well, become sure. kind of like two sides of the story and like both have like their, their strengths and their... their uh, you know, whatever their, their weaknesses might be that they have to like prop each other up, uh, to save the day. And that would have been a very compelling story to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think they, uh, uh, they definitely ditched Finn. Like they, they definitely, uh, they didn't do well, uh, well with Finn. Of course, there was a lot of backlash from a bunch of racist assholes who probably didn't even watch the movies anyways. So, yeah. And you know what? But, Fuck their opinions anyway. Right. As we say with all racists. Um, but we're not here to shit on racists. <laughs> Just kidding. We are all the time. We totally are. Um, <laughs> that's silly. Of course we are. Uh, but uh, we are instead. Hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fight, And I am... Oh, shit. I had something for this. No, I don't. Never mind. I'm Caleb. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, so we are uh, rounding up our our month of uh, badass uh, women in film, and uh, we actually chose uh, a, a movie that uh, looks like it it was intending to be a very very good movie. Um, now, whether it is, we'll discuss that over the next oh, that, hour. Where, where are we going with this? <laughs> right, but uh, but this is one of those you know we're like Minty the Assassin cemetery high like those are all movies that like somebody went out and made those movies and nobody was like yeah this is this is gonna be like it's gonna a be serious real good. really good yeah people are gonna watch this movie and be like oh yeah that was a really good movie they're gonna watch and be like that was fucking stupid and hilarious or something <laughs> that's what they were going for um but prospect what was in fact set out to to be a a uh a, a serious film a, a film meant to be taken uh serious um, i will go so far as to say that uh i considered the the first 10 minutes of this film, and I'm using that uh, benchmark only in that, like, that's the first time that I had to pause to do something not movie-related. Uh, the first 10 minutes of this film were better than all of the other movies we watched this month combined. Yeah, I'll, I'll back that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very bold but correct and accurate statement. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we're talking about the movie Prospect, uh, which can be found on Netflix. Um, and uh, uh, this movie actually came out about two years ago, well, two and a half years ago now, um, yeah, in uh, 2000, yep, 2018. And uh, this movie, like I said, is available on Netflix. So this movie stars Sophie Thatcher, uh, Jay Duplass, and Pedro Pascal. Um, Sophie Thatcher is, uh, we'll say the main character of this movie. Uh, yeah. I mean, she is, uh, even though she, she doesn't really have as many lines as say, uh, Pedro Pascal. Um, but she's only been in a few things. She was in a couple episodes of Chicago Med and, uh, she was in, uh, she just played young Reagan in the exorcist, the, the remake of the exorcist hmm. in 2016. Um, but I'm, I'm going to venture to say that she is, uh, I, I can't exactly say, uh, with certainty, but I'm going to venture to say she is very young. Uh, I'm definitely going to say under 20. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, no bio of, like, how old? Yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, it strikes me as probably, like, early to mid-teens. Uh, but seems to me, like, her performance in this film, uh, if it doesn't lend itself to her having uh, a much, like, brighter career... Uh, and you know, th then that's, that's wrong. That's, that's, 
that's a disservice to all of us, I think. Unless she doesn't want that. If she made this movie, she's like, yeah, you know what? Eh, fuck it. I'm done. Then good I for her. I don't do but, any more movies. Yeah. But if uh, if her dream is to be an actor and she isn't propelled into a, a fantastic career after this, then there's no justice. Yeah. Uh, no, I would agree with that. Um, I would say, you know, the thing about her performance in this movie is... Um, so, so we had gone with the theme of like badass women in film and then mostly picked bad movies. And the thing about this is that she, she's not badass in the sense that you would typically think like, she isn't like all of a sudden I'm the most amazing with a gun and I can fight, you know, a, a full grown adult or, you know, all these sort of things. She's a badass in the sense that like, she knows exactly what she needs to do to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's what she does. And it's not about physical strength or agility or tech prowess because you know you, you throughout the film like it's very obvious she has very average knowledge about um you know what what they're doing and we'll get into that um but it's just that survival instinct and that draw to be like okay this is this thing has happened this is messed up this is what i want how do i get back to that point and i think that's the sort of like savviness you would see um, in someone who who is just as, has a strong character, you know? yeah. Well, it it's made reasonably clear that she's uh, she's pretty young and she's kind of like thrust into this life of uh, being like a freelance miner of some sort, and a, a miner as in like mining, but also miner as in she's a young child. See how that works? Oh, Word I got. Play. Oh, that's how they are. She's a freelance. Oh, that's miner. curious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, you know, she, she accepts it. She doesn't really like fight against it or like sulk or anything like that. And, you know, she, she picks up knowledge along the way. She kind of figures out how to do things. And, uh, there's, there's a few scenes early on where she's with her, her father, uh, Damon, uh, played by Jay Duplass, uh, who kind of treats her like shit, but in a way that feels like it's intended to like, I can't do this for you. You have to know how to do this because like we have to be able to survive in doing what we do. And so yeah. like if I do all of this for you, then I'm I'm not helping you at all. So there's a little bit of, of tough love and like you know, you you would see in a, in a lot of situations like this, a like a teenage character might like throw a fit or push back or like, ah, oh, I hate I hate my parents, blah, blah, blah. But she's just like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And I think that that lends itself really well to her character growth. Yeah, you, you know, so in the very beginning of the film, we'll 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 kick it right off. So, um, in the very beginning of the film, we see uh, C, uh, who uh -huh. is um, Sophie Thatcher, C, C, and Damon, her father, and you know, they're they're in their their ship, and it looks like they're about to take off. We're getting the sense that it's just them. She, you know, asks questions about like why can't we go home, and he's like, you don't even have home, which already establishes the idea that they're very nomadic. In that, you know, we, we get the idea right off the bat that. Um, his, that their work that they do to survive is very like, we go wherever the next job is mm -hmm. and less of like, oh, well, this is just, you know, I don't travel for work. It's like, we, we work as a result, you know, we have to travel. So they're basically, they're basically diamond miners yeah. uh, in a sense. They're prospectors, let's say, hence the film. And at one point, he even says something like, you know, the, these jobs, the, the this grunt work, whatever, it's not going to last forever, you know, and you get the the sense of like oh there, there's not a lot of backstory there's not a lot of exposition which is kind of cool like we're just kind of thrust right into these characters lives and just have to piece it together on our own uh but we learn that there's some sort of debt hanging over them they've got uh, the lease of the the like drop pod that they're in that they use for like landing on the uh the moon to do their prospecting uh they have a you know a loan it's just the two of them so like something has happened to the mother we don't know exactly what uh and you know, the, the father's doing all of these like odd jobs to try to get to the point where uh, they can live comfortably somewhere and find a home. You know, we, we learned that like she remembers, you know, growing up on, uh, on one particular planet. Uh, but her dad's like, you know, that's that's not home. You barely even like ever lived there. And, you know, we we're, we're, we can't go back there. We're going to find, right. you know, someplace that we can settle for real. And, and he even says, like, that's not even the planet you were born on. And she was mm -hmm. like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, yeah you're, you're actually born on this other planet, and then we moved to this planet, and now we're here. 
um, yeah, it's it's crazy. So we we get that world right off the bat, and you know we have a couple of moments of her asking questions like, well, why can't we just go stay with mom? Why or you know whatever? Why can't we just do this? And he's like, well, listen, like this one thing, you know. Uh, in in a little bit, we get to the point where they get their first you know haul, and she was like why look why can't we leave just right now and he's like look this only like this basically resets us resets us to zero mm-hmm. at zero like we're still nothing like we'd still have to go off and basically do this again he's like but if we go get this really big stash so we learned that um the reason why they're here is that a bunch of uh, mercenaries have basically stumbled across a uh, a a reservoir of these these specific gems um, and that the idea is, is that they're like, they basically hired him to go and uh, dig these up and get these mines for him. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they'll they'll split the money and that's how they're going to, and that's how they'll make their money. So this is kind of like part of the deal. They're like, look, you come, you know, mine this because it's a very dangerous mine. The the gems are, are um, part of like, they're basically created by like alien clams. Yeah. Uh, but but the like clams the- are covered in acid. Like the gooey duck clams or whatever they're called. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but they're but they're pretty much covered in acid. So if you don't like if you don't process it correctly, the acid will just burn you, or it'll just burn the gem out, and then you got nothing. Mm-hmm. So like it's a very very like specific process in order to get it right, uh, or you know you you burn you get melted, and we see this happen uh, several times. In fact, so. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty wild. So, so Which, the film uh, starts off. Yeah, it, it just it always leaves me wondering in situations like this: how did they even discover this gem to begin with, and what is its actual value? Because if it takes that much like digging and like special extraction to remove it, and uh, even just to, to get one, how did they ever find out about it? Yeah, I, well, so like the very first gem that they get is, I don't know, I mean, it's handheld, maybe the size of like a tennis ball at best, mm-hmm. and it's 10,000, like it's only 10,000 units or whatever their their money is, um, and I mean, this thing's honking, like a diamond that size would, would basically set you up uh, to have your family wealthy for the rest of your life, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like these gems, I like, obviously aren't, you know, they're not exactly. Plus, uh, did we ever learn what exactly the gems are aside from just rare gems? Like, are they just like jewelry items, or are they like used for something? I don't remember no. them saying it. They they call it Arlac, so it's like A U R E L A C or something like that. Uh, but mm-hmm. they don't refer to what it does. Whether it's literally just a like a precious gemstone, whether it's fuel, mm-hmm. uh, whether it like has some sort of like medicinal or like industrial purpose yeah and that's like a gold where it's you know plated on buildings or whatever you know like it yeah and that kind of comes to the the point of like we don't get the backstory or the exposition in this movie and uh as frustrating as it is to not know anything about like this material and like how they found it or what it's used for anything like that it also like is a really interesting uh storytelling technique to just not tell us and like just Assume, you know what, this is important, move on. Yeah, you know, so one of the things that this film does that I feel like a lot of films fail at is it gives us information about items that are only relevant to the right now Mm -hmm. and don't cause you to ask a, a lot of questions that are relevant to the plot. So, like... Me wanting to know how humans got to the point where they're jumping around uh, ships, like what year is it? Like mm-hmm. why are they, you know, what planet are they on? What solar system are they in? Like those are sometimes questions, like they did such a good job of crafting this specific instance so well that I wasn't like, well, wait, how yeah. like, How are you even doing interplanetary travel in the first place? Like, because a lot of times people will bring that up to the point of like, oh, well, we've got to jump from this star base to another star base. And they're just mm-hmm. like, hey, and they treat it very like, very earthly in a way. Like, a, hey, we're, we're going from this port to this next port to do this thing. So like, it feels like it, you, you're not left being like, I, wait, hang on. How are you here? What are you doing? It's very just like, yeah, you're just going to this next thing to do a thing. It was really crafted very well. 
they almost treat it like a transit line. And they, they refer yeah. a couple of times to basically like what, what sounds to me like the, the slingshot technique of like using planetary gravity to, mm-hmm. uh, to propel yourself to the, the next location. Uh, so we can assume that's some degree of how they're, they're doing interplanetary travel. Uh, but like humans have been coming to this one uh, kind of foresty moon somewhere and Endor. doing this mi- yeah it's Endor. Uh, doing this mining but the you know the company that runs this interstellar transit line has decided to like stop transit to here so like this cycle that they're on is the last one they've got only so much time to go down to the planet do their thing get back catch the ride home otherwise they're stuck they're fucked so you know we get immediately that like sense of urgency and uh, our initial conflict the kind of like versus time um and it's actually a, a great place to talk about. Like, I would say it gets more nuanced. You can get really deep into like types of sci-fi and sci-fi storylines, but I kind of break them down into like three fairly big categories. You've got your bright, shiny future where like everything is great, and you know, you, like the technology is it's super advanced. You know, your your Star Trek and and whatnot. You have your like total apocalypse. Everything is shit. The world is over, and people are just eking out a living and just getting by and like, you know, some sort of major, major disaster or conflict or whatever. Uh, and then you have stories like this that are kind of this, like, gritty, semi-realistic. Like, obviously, like, this isn't happening, but uh, the tech is run down and dingy. And, like, they're not talking about uh, interstellar travel with, like, hyperspace drives and everything. And, like, there's very real, like man versus man conflict you know we don't discover like a nest of aliens that they have to fight it's you know it's not you know it's not a james cameron movie or anything like that like it's just a very like straightforward like this story theoretically could take place on earth uh you know and you could create the same type of drama out of it yeah uh, you know uh so one of the biggest things that is always like the uh is always like the tipping point um, for a lot of these films is they'll do that one thing that's mm-hmm. very like very sci-fi um, but this one actually didn't and it was the guns uh, actually yes. was the one that I, I thought was very interesting um, is that the gun basically is is just like an air-powered rifle that shoots you know I would assume something to the effect of a sharp uh, needle or bullet because its yeah. only purpose is just to pierce your spacesuit because Obviously, if you know you're you're in an environment that is uh, harsh to you, whether it's lacking air or in this case, like poisonous environment, mm-hmm. um, you know, a puncture in your spacesuit means you're dead. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting choice because they could have easily gone with some form of laser blast or you know something futuristic like that. But it was very very practical. Yeah, um, and I thought that was great. And of course, speaking of practical, uh, almost all of the effects in this movie are practical, uh, give or take just the beginning ones. Yeah, you. you- really didn't get a sense of any like CGI or anything like that that like takes you out of that um, to uh, to say it again that kind of gritty realism mm-hmm. and uh, I, I like a story like that every now and then I mean I love my bright shiny sci-fi with crazy oh, sure. explosions and, and laser blasts and whatnot but uh, a story like this feels more grounded uh, over on second edition one we talk about that a lot with the way that uh, Battlestar Galactica feels like it more like a uh, a timeless military drama and less like a, a sci-fi epic adventure because they try to keep the technology rooted in something that we know and understand and that feels more current and less like, well, they had to like create this technology in order to make like, this effect make sense. Yeah, um, which is pretty interesting. So... Uh, so, so we see uh, Damon and C, and you know they're getting out and they're starting their haul. And just as they're they're uh, they've gotten their first batch and they're and they're heading to the next site, which is the the big site, the uh, which is rumored to be called the Queen's Lair. So, mm-hmm. um, this is very reminiscent of like um, of like uh, the Gold Rush, and uh, more specifically, what wh- what was the big one in Aztec, like the Aztec Gold? Um, wh- who was the uh, I mean, the one that everyone always talks about, like, you know, we're going to uh, mother load and find the, huh? The mother load. Well, the mother load, but no, there's like a specific place like, Eldorado? uh, 
El Dorado. Yes, the that's NBC exactly world. that's exactly what this is. Yeah, the, this the is fabled city of gold. Uh-huh. Yeah, which uh, as an aside, since it's so fresh in my mind, having watched through the uh, the MCU again, I love when uh, Ulysses Claw explains that like you know people looked for uh, El Dorado for centuries and they thought it was in South America when it was in, a- in Africa all the time, referring to Wakanda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great that's a great line. Yeah, and that's that's so that's exactly what I was thinking about. So El Dorado. Um, and that's kind of what this feels like. This is this rumored, um, batch, basically this rumored area on this moon that everybody had searched for, for a really long time. And so these mercenaries, after, uh, we learned that their goal was to basically dump a prisoner there, um, to basically, you know, live out a sentence in a cube and die. Uh, they stumbled across this and basically was like, oh shit, we found this, this mother load, like this mm-hmm. queen's lair, uh, they call it. And, you know, but we need someone to actually like mine it for us. Now, uh, what's great is that this is the plot of a lot of different movies, but like you don't like I didn't instantly be like, oh, this is just the plot of blah. This is the plot of this. Like this is the plot of Congo. This is the plot of El Dorado. This is the plot of, you know, whatever. Like there's so many movies. This is the plot of the Dora the Explorer movie. Uh, and there's it's true. Um there's, uh, by the way, if you have kids who watch Dora the Explorer, do in fact watch the movie. It is actually really funny, and they do so many things to like make fun of the show. There's like these really funny like making fun of the shows. Uh, it was actually funny. In one of the scenes, she she like turns to the camera as you know before like the movie kicks on. She's like, "Can you say blah?" And her parents are like, "Why does she keep doing that? Who is she talking to? <laughs> should, should we have her looked at for this?" Like it was very very funny. They're like, "Maybe it's just a phase." Very funny. That's um, great. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. Um, but yeah, so like, but I didn't instantly be like, Ugh, "This is just the plot of blah." I like it took me a lot of reflecting on this movie to be like, "Oh shit." this is the same plot as this, but like they did it so well mm-hmm. and something to note. So this movie, um, is actually based off a short, um, that the directors, uh, who are, uh, Christopher Caldwell and Zeke Earl, um, they actually made this Zeke. as a short film, um, and released it and it got picked up in a festival and they got their funding. And this movie was made for just shy of $4 million, which is pretty impressive giving, given the the look of this film. And one of the cool things that they mentioned is that they actually hired a whole bunch of like cosplayers and stuff to actually do all of the, um, the, the costumes and the work and the, and the settings and stuff like that. Really, really Neat. cool. So it's funny that you say that. Cause you know, we, we've talked several times, in fact, several times, even just this month about, uh, how sometimes a movie feels significantly longer than its runtime because of like how bad it is. Mm-hmm. This movie played almost out like a like a short film, like you know, it was like an hour and forty minutes, hour and thirty nine minutes, whatever. Um, but it didn't it didn't drag at all. It was a slow paced, but it felt it moved at just the right speed. So like it never it never stopped. It never was like where the fuck is this going? Uh, and it's pretty brilliant to be able to take a uh, fourteen minute short film and make it into you know a full feature and have it still retain that kind of energy. Yeah, also very rare. Um, I feel like, you know, without completely altering, uh, you know, the film itself. So this, I, I think this was a really great undertaking, and I, I kudos to Chris Caldwell and, and Z. Carl. I really hope that they um, make some more movies. Uh, this mm-hmm. looks to be the last thing they released, if I, if I saw correctly. Um, but I would assume they probably have, uh, considering this movie came out, they had 2019 to kind of like run the gamut of, of, promoting it and then using that as a vehicle to try to get money to make another movie. And then 2020 hit and nobody made movies anymore. Um, So I'm sure, especially lower budget films uh, like this. So I'm sure that they probably ran into issues uh, in that sense. But I I do really hope that they, they get to make something else because this was a good movie. This was, this was a really good watch. Looks like they've maybe made a a couple other shorts uh, before and after this. So uh, maybe we'll get a a chance to uh, kind of repeat that success and, get those made into to movies as well. If they're if they're anywhere near as good as this one, then I would welcome that. Yeah. So uh so we mentioned that C and Damon are uh heading off to the next step and as they as they do, um 
uh, Damon ends up being a little ahead of C, uh, and he runs into two people um, who we learn are Ezra and number two. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, Ezra is Pedro Pascal. And so he even, you know, Damon being, uh, you know, we, we've kind of seen him as not being a great father. Like he's not, he's not very attentive. Uh, it looks like he, he kind of like gets high as fuck and then just kind of passes out on her and, and makes her do like all the little shit work when the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, but at this moment he, you know, he kind of puts his dad hat on and he was like, Hey, stay back, turn your mic off. Um, and then, you know, but be ready with, with the gun, the rifle that they have. And he was mm -hmm. like, you know, when, when I say so, like you, you follow behind us. And when I say so, you pull the, the rifle on the big one. Um, and he's like, and I'll take care of the, of the other guy. Um, number two is, is basically just a big Hulk of a guy and he never really speaks. Yeah. Um, so we hear uh, Zeke uh, and, or I'm sorry, we hear uh, Ezra and Damon kind of talking and Ezra, you know, we, we get the impression right off the bat and we learn that they're basically just trying to loot him. They're, you know, they're going to steal his shit, steal his ship, get out of here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we learn that they're basically have been marooned on this island one way or another. Uh, and, you know, they're just going to rob this guy, steal his ship and then bounce out. Um, and of course, uh, Damon being like, hey, but listen, I, you know, we're here to, to basically find El Dorado. Like you, you should come with us, you know, the Queen's Lair. Like, how about you come with us and you get a share of this and, you know, we, we each make our chunk of change and then you help us get off this place and then we, we bounce, you know? Um, and Ezra, uh, of course. Yeah. I always wonder in scenes like that, like there's in the back of my head, I guess, you know, this, the cynic in me, there's the expectation that they would just be like, why don't we just still take your shit and uh, leave you here or kill you? Like how, like, right. I always wonder like how these characters expect to strike a deal and have it like upheld. Like as soon I, as your, as soon as your value is, is through like they'll leave you. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is no different than the story at the end with the Mercs. Um, I, I but I will say that I feel like on the, on the character, the person who has to make the deal, um, like Damon, like C, like Ezra later, mm -hmm. I feel like it's more of like a survival instinct of like, well, what if I attempt to trade you something and it's my value? And, you know, he even says like, well, you know, our value is is being able to harvest these things for you. Mm -hmm. Like it's actually worth, you know, it's worth more than that. Like we need a ride back because our ship, you know, gets damaged. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's that same sort of like survival instinct of like do everything I can to try to get what I need because, you know, and in this case, uh, in both cases, they're severely outnumbered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, uh, Damon is like, listen, like, this is what we're going to do. Okay. Let's, you know, follow me like here, you know, let's go with me. We'll go get this, this thing. You guys can help me do it. And then we'll all bounce out and you guys can take your share. So they, they start to head off and about halfway, um, we, you know, we get to the point where, uh, uh, C, you know, jumps out with her rifle Ezra pulls up his, but, uh, you know, number two has this big rail gun, um, and, uh, <laughs> love a rail gun, <laughs> love a rail gun. And, uh, Ezra has, you know, a little pistol, um, or doesn't have a gun. I think that's why they kind of get the drop on him. Cause it's two to one at this point, and, two, two guns to one. Yeah. Um, I think in the confusion, Damon actually snags a, the pistol from Ezra. Ah, gotcha. I think he yeah, pulls so, that kind of like turns and like grabs it from him and like nobody moves sort of thing. Yep. And then, you know, so they're, so they're, you know, C is from afar, uh, gun trained on uh, number two. Uh, Damon is up close, gun trained on Ezra. And he's like, you know, look, like, how about we just chill and do this? And uh, uh, just as that's about to happen, uh, a little gunfight goes off and uh, um, we see that. Uh, uh, number two and Damon shoot themselves, uh, basically shoot each other, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, they fall, uh, and then C ends up shooting, um, Ezra in the arm. Um, and so this is where we get, uh, our moment, you know, as we get up, uh, we see, you know, Ezra, uh, gets up, C runs away. And after running out of bullets and, um, you know, Ezra sees that Damon is sort of alive and he, he finishes him off. 
So now at this point, C is running back to the uh, to her ship. You know, at this point, she she can't leave. The ship is not uh, able to leave. She doesn't uh, have the gem, or maybe she has the gem. Now she just um, she abandons everything and just takes off. She's like, you know what? Fuck this. Like, not worth dying over. Dad's yeah. dead. Fuck these this this one guy that's here. Uh, I'm gonna get in the the pod and I'm gonna catch the uh, you know catch the last train home and figure my shit out after. Uh, right. Except the ship is broken from when it crashed. Yeah, and she has no means of uh, of fixing it. So uh, at this point, you know, C is uh, she's in the ship and she's just kind of like, well, I guess I'll just chill for a little bit. She listens to some Latvian punk rock, uh, makes eats a some junk food. Mess. Makes a big old mess, and uh, we hear some footsteps outside. She's got the uh, dopest headphones, by the way. She does. She those are really fucking, fucking retro cool. Are. She oh definitely bought those at Urban Outfitters. That's, <laughs> that's like 100% for like $180. Uh, so before we get to who is uh, in those footsteps, um, uh, we're going we're gonna to go to a quick break, but I do want to mention a few things. So one, um, Night Shift Radio uh, as a company has actually launched a Patreon uh, just recently, uh, or oh, is really? about to. Yeah, it's true. Starting uh, tomorrow. Um, so the Patreon is a really great way to not only support all of the Night Shift Radio shows, which is eight podcasts, by the way, and two uh, upcoming shows, um, non-podcast related productions. Um, but it's a really great way you'll get uh, episodes early uh, for most of our shows. You'll get some bonus content, exclusive content. Um, you'll get behind the scenes looks at our two uh, upcoming productions, um, which is pretty exciting, both of which are really, really exciting. So you want to check those out. Um, it's just a really great way to, you know, like I said, support all of the shows, but also, uh, you know, get some extra, get some cool extra content. Our value is, is this is the content for you. Um, so you can head over to patreon.com slash night shift radio. There is a link down below. Um, you know, check it out and, uh, you know, toss us a couple of bucks and, you know, we'll make it worth your while. Uh, you know, so one of the big ones is, uh, exclusive, uh, ep- getting episodes of never heard of it a few days early, uh, which is exciting and an upcoming series of, uh, uh, where, uh, Caleb and I try to convince each other to watch a movie, um, uh, yeah. which is going to be pretty exciting. I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah. we also have, uh, another big thing coming up, uh, the week that this episode launches. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if you're, if you're listening to this on day one, this is Sunday, uh, and in two days, on February 2nd, we're having our first Night Shift Radio crossover event, uh, where Michael and I from Never Heard of It join with the uh, the crew of Second Edition 1, spoiler, it's also me, uh, to review the uh, the Battlestar Galactica film Razor. Uh, and that's a two-part episode, so you got to make sure that you check both feeds uh, uh, in order to get the, the whole thing. We actually, uh, we, 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 uh, we decided to do a, a little bit, uh, have a little fun with the format. Uh, so yeah. you'll have to head on over to, uh, the second edition one feed to check out part one uh, and then come meet us back over here. At Never heard of it for part two. Yeah. Very, very fun. Uh, I'm very excited for this, uh, little crossover and, uh, you know, maybe we'll, uh, do more of these in the future. He says, knowing full well, there's already one planned. Wink. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but maybe with other shows. Um, yeah, so that's super exciting. And of course, Thank you for subscribing on your podcast player of choice or following yeah. or uh, notifications on or whatever it is that your podcast uses. Because I know like Amazon Music, it's follow. I think Spotify is also follow. But subscribing yeah. is super helpful. Um, you'll get notified right away when new episodes launch. Never heard of it launches two episodes every week. And, and on top of it, all of our other shows, you know, we're pretty much all weekly uh, minus one or two shows. But, uh, um, you know, definitely check it out. And again, uh, thanks a lot for subscribing. And of course, you could follow us on social media at The Nahoit Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Caleb, what's a website they can head to for both uh, the Nahoit and uh, Night Shift Radio? Oh, that's an excellent question. Well, to, to visit us directly in our little corner of the web, you can always go to thenahoit.com. Uh, that's T-H-E-N-H-O-I-T.com. Well, of course, we have our upcoming schedule of episodes with links to trailers and where, if possible, you can find these movies strailing. Stra- strailing? Streaming? Strailing. Strailing. You can find them strailing. Uh, and then, of course, um, as we've uh, alluded to, uh, next month is going to be a, another month of all listener request movies, and we've got a contact form on our website where you can uh, shoot us over those uh, requests if you want to uh, to let us know what you want to hear us talk about. Uh, but if you want to learn more about, say, Night Shift Radio Media Group as a whole, you can visit the brand new uh, new and improved nightshiftradio.com. Check it out and uh, 
you know, peruse through all of the the shows and, and wonderful blog content and the Storyteller Series print edition, uh, all of that great stuff on that site. Cool. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we will uh, finish up with the story of Prospect. I'm Michael Fight, and I'm here with a brand new show called Fight Jokes About Everything. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we're going to bring up a brand new topic, something that's hot on the internet because, because I live on the internet. And we're going to take those silly things, and we're going to joke about them, and we're going to you know talk a little bit about the history of them and talk about why the internet is such a terrible but wonderful place. So please join me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for this brand new Night Shift Radio original. For more information, go to nightshiftradio.com, and of course, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Mindless monsters, once thought human, fill the streets. A corrupt government threatens the lives of the people it's meant to serve. This sounds a little too familiar. Is this real life? Or a video game you can play for fun? Shift Talk Q, Night Shift Radio's newest original production, is your LGBTQ centered source for creative and thoughtful discussions and news at the intersection of gaming, diversity, and community. You can expect unboxings, game reviews, let's plays, community nights, celebrations of what video games are doing right, critical conversations about where the gaming industry needs to do better, and so much more. Be the first to know when new episodes drop by following us on Twitter and Instagram at NSR Shift Q. And on Twitch at Shift Q to join the community. For more information about Shift-Alt-Q, visit nightshiftradio.com. Hi, I'm Sarah Sweeney, host of the new podcast, Latchkey Kids. Right now, we're all at home, left to our own devices without any adult supervision. Each weekish, I'll talk to my fellow latchkey kids about what they're up to, how they're wasting time, and, because I can, make them perform a dramatic reading of a TV show theme song. So join me wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back. Oh, hi. Uh, so, oh, hey. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Huh. Cool. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Same. I had something that I wanted to say, and then we went to break and I forgot. I'm sorry. It's Okay. It's all right, you know, sometimes those breaks are just, they're really long, and, you know, we just have to stand here in silence for the entire time, and, you know, it's weird. Just <laughs> <laughs> That's totally how production works, everyone. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't. Um, yeah, so when we left you, see, uh, you know, upon learning that her father has died, which, by the way, this is the one thing that kind of bothered me, but I think this is... Uh, I think it's more of a character trait uh, than less of an acting trait is that um, the character of C is very not bothered by a lot. Like Mm -hmm. she witnesses her father die um, and she does get a little upset about it. I mean, we do, we do see a little bit, but it's only like in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also later she has to cut off an entire arm and she's just very like, meh, this is the thing that I do. It was very like, it made me wonder if it was character or if it was written or acting. Yeah, I think that we're supposed to accept that this kid has seen a lot of shit in her time. Uh, you know, during that uh, operation, she says, you know, uh, when I was twelve, I, they used to have me uh, basically go up inside this weird animal and like harvest the eggs because I was the only one small enough to do it without breaking them. And you know, it took me an hour to wash the hair, or the blood out of my hair every night. So this was nothing. And like, you know. Like like I said, my assumption is that she's probably somewhere in her like mid teens, and you know she's grown up. You know, just her and her dad doing these like shitty like grunt jobs, uh, mining and collecting and harvesting and doing all this like dirty work, and she's kind of kind of become desensitized to it to the point where like you would expect uh, a stronger reaction out of someone her age, uh, and when she doesn't react, you're just like. Are you okay? <laughs> should, should do I you want to talk? <laughs> like, do, do you need? Do you need help? Do you need a minute? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so as we mentioned, you know, we hear some footsteps. Uh, C gets ready with the gun, and in walks Ezra. Um, you know, who who says like, "Hey, you know, I've, uh, you know, like, look, uh, we need each other. Like, you you've got parts of the ship. I've got, you know, whatever." Uh, and I need you to basically, we need to get off this island and, or off this, this, uh, mountain or mountain, it's island, a moon. mountain planet. It's a, that's it's a moon. moon. No, it, um, is a, it is a moon. 
Oh, it is a moon. It is in fact a moon. Yeah. So he's like, we need to get off Endor. And uh, <laughs> she uh, she was like, fine. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, or she even she even like says to him, like, you you're going to do this for me or I'm mm-hmm. going to I'm going to kill you pretty much. Yeah, you know, she assumes like, well, that he has a ship. She's like, yeah, yeah. since you killed my dad, uh, you're going to take me to your ship and we're going to leave. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to kill you. And it's like, that sounds great, except for the part about me having a ship. Yeah. He's like, otherwise I would have left a long time ago. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, was uh, was brought up in, in about the short and stuff like that and, and Ezra's character is Ezra speaks in a very Shakespearean way. Like everything is very like poetic almost. And I, and I like it up until, you know, there's moments where he breaks. But Pedro Pascal gives the most David Morrissey uh, performance that I've ever seen anyone do, possibly even out David Morrissey's David Morrissey in this film. And I fucking love it. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, you know, he definitely speaks very flourishing, um, you know, and his, his, uh, speech is very, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's structured in a way that just, it, it speaks volumes, uh, on, onto like his type of character. And I think it really works because you, you get the impression that he, he definitely is one of those, like, I don't want to say Merc with a heart, uh, type things because he's not no. like, he's one of those, like, I'm really, really smart, but I will do everything I can to, to preserve me. Like, mm-hmm. You know, if it means saving you because that saves me, then I will do that. But keep in mind, I will drop you in a second. Or, you know, that's the impression that we get, at least. Uh, making it a further uh, connection to Walking Dead, it would basically be like if you gave uh, David Morrissey Eugene's lines. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Very, yeah. like, like techno babble and, like... Uh, very like fluid and like flowery and like way more descriptors than is necessary, but delivered with so much gravity and like seriousness, I guess gravitas would be, would have been a good word there. Uh, that like you can't help but take it seriously. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, so they decide that, you know, yes, this is, this is what we're going to do. Fine. We'll do this. She explains, you know, even in further detail about the Merc situation of what she knows. Uh, and so they're, they're off and they're head off to basically, uh, find, you know, this, this thing, uh, in the meantime, they run into a group of, I would say religious zealots is, is a good example Basically, yeah. I mean, we don't get a lot of context into them. We just we're we're told that they're religious settlers, uh, and so they they've chosen to live on this toxic moon. And yeah. Yeah. Again, like this is just something where like the the plot demands that you accept that it's important and move on. Yeah, and you know uh, the thing about it is that's great. Is you know uh, there's they wouldn't have to necessarily interact with them. But the problem is, is that the gunshot wound, uh, that, uh, she has given to Ezra, um, as a result has been infected by the mm-hmm. pollen floating in the air in this moon. And, and this is one of the things we see, uh, when you just, you know, throughout the whole movie, every outdoor scene, there's just this dust and pollen floating through the air. That's so um, well and it's done. actually, it's a practical effect. Uh, so what they did was, um, the film crew went and just basically grabbed a whole bunch of basement dust and just tossed it up in a soundstage and just filmed it for hours and then just basically superimposed it over top of the actual film to make it look like this pollen, you know, was just everywhere. And we do see a few moments of, of the pollen kind of being, uh, uh, farted out of these ground buttholes, yeah. uh, which was the only thing that I was like, Ugh, really, you, <laughs> you have buttholes in your ground. Like they look like buttholes. This is, this is what we're seeing right now. They're just, it's just a sphincter. Okay. Sphincters are everywhere. <laughs> it's a butthole. Um, <laughs> you're touching that kitty on the butthole. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the infection has basically got it to the point where it was like, look, if we don't like, you know, Hey, I don't want to be talking to these people either, but if we don't, mm-hmm. uh, like this infection is going to kill me, maybe we can trade them for medicine or something like that. Like I need to talk to them. So, you know, he gets there, we get inside their little, their little hut. 
Um, the the son uh, does this very weird little uh, musical performance. Um, you know what it kind of looked like? It looked like he had the device, the same device from the He-Man movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of what it looked like he was playing on, the key. Well, he plays it like a crank organ, but it sounds like an accordion. And yeah. then it's got like nubbins all over it that presumably are the, the keys that he uses to make the different sounds, but it only makes like four notes. Yeah. And then he it's plays got, like, like a, a song, thousand and nubbins, like, but it plays uh-huh. four notes. Yeah. And he was like, uh, uh-huh. yeah. Like after uh-huh. he's done, they were like, cool. And you just see Ezra, he's like, that was beautiful. Anyways. So anyway, I'm still dying over here. <laughs> right. So uh, so pretty much what happens, he was like, hey, look, you know, wh- what do you want in exchange for, for some medicine? Like, I really need it. And they were like, uh, we'll make you a deal. And they they bring forth a big case. Um, and they set the case in front of him. And they were like, this is, this is our offer. And he was like, uh, and he opens the case. And there are, uh, I don't know, roughly 10 to 15 of those gems, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Aurelax or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that he's looking to get. And he was like, I don't understand. And they're like, for the girl. So essentially, uh, what they explain is that they they want to trade Ezra these gems for C, uh, because what we learn is that the female of their group has uh, passed away, and they're looking for someone else to basically breed. Uh, Not okay. Not okay. Not but this okay. is a really this is uh, you know again one of those moments, and I think this is another one of those like. You could easily misinterpret Ezra's, uh, like Ezra doing this to basically be like, um, uh, cool, I just want the money, Mm -hmm. um, or like, oh, he actually has a heart of gold, but it, but that's not really the case. Again, this is the, this is his moment of like, sure, this is great, but without her, like, I literally can't survive. So like mm-hmm. I like this money is irrelevant because survival is number one, you know, and so she runs um, and, you know, the boy chases after her. Uh, but then we hear a scuffle in the tent. So the boy runs back to the tent and she bounces out um, and is like, nope, see ya. So she starts heading off to uh, to where the mercs are, I guess, essentially. Um, and at this point, of course, uh, um, you know, she stumbles across the the tent and uh, Ezra calls her in and was like, get in here. And he's like, look, it's it's gotten too bad. Like, this is it. Like, either either you cut off my arm or I die. Um, yeah. And he's like, and you still need me. So this is where we get the chance to like she she has this tiny little like motorized saw blade that they normally use for uh, carving the flesh off of the the clams essentially to get at the the gemstone and he's like it's got it's got five settings two for flesh four for bone like you either just named two of the settings or you're telling us that there's actually six it's very confusing i don't know right (laughs) he's like you know he like puts on a tourniquet shoots himself up with some painkillers like kind of slaps his arms and like you can see it's like limp like there's no feeling and he's like all right dude she's like is this gonna hurt he's like i don't know no I don't know. Just do it. <laughs> Maybe. Uh-uh. <laughs> and she starts cutting through and like she, she gets to the flesh and kind of like scrapes the bone. She's like, Oh, that's bone. He's like, four for bone. <laughs> she sets it up and cuts through. And the whole time he's, this, this is where he says like, you're awfully calm for this. And this is where she gives us her backstory of, um, you know, doing the, this, you know, gross, like bloody work since she was a, a kid. And so she's just desensitized to it. She's like, this is nothing. And I'm like, I feel like you have to have done some pretty bad shit uh, to be desensitized to cutting off a man's arm. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like she's not even um, like she asks him, are you sure in the way that like a, a doctor would to a patient when they're like, yes, no, this is I'm ready for this. Like they're he's like she is confident in doing the act. Mm-hmm. She is just, you know, still looking for that assurance of him to being like, are you sure this is what you want? And then she's like, okay. You know, flashlight goes in the mouth, saw goes, and she's like, Rant, and just starts going at it. Like, there's no trepidation whatsoever. It's really, uh, I mean, doing this. fantastic acting by Sophie Thatcher. Just, like, so calm, so focused, and, like, conveying this, like, 100% confidence in what she's doing uh, to, like, to the surprise uh, and dismay of the adult in the room. Yeah. 
Um, and, and so she lobs off, uh, lobs off his arm and, yeah. uh, you know, they're then, you know, they have this like magic foam that they put in it that basically, I guess would be like the cauterization or, you know, something to that effect to kind of stop the bleeding and, and yeah. initiate healing and basically seal it up. Um, and off she goes, you know, uh, Ezra makes a really, like a really messed up comment. Like it kind of, I, I was very squeamish during this moment, surprisingly, um, you know, and, uh, so content warning, they do actually show the cutting of the blood and stuff like that, but it's only for a brief second. You don't see the full arm flop off. You don't see the arm after the fact mm -hmm. or anything like that, but you do see, uh, the flesh being ripped away. Yeah. Um, but he says like, you know, goodbye to my primary weapon, you know, my best friend, we, you know, we've been together my whole <laughs> life and it was just, it, it was a very weird send off, but at the same time, like it, it like, I don't know. It got me. Like losing a limb gets me. That's the that's the one that I was like, oh, I can't. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, oh. Couldn't <laughs> imagine. Yeah, pretty messed but up. I just love like obviously part of it's going to be the the drugs that he shot himself up with, but part of it's just his character. How it is. <laughs> like you know, he like he's reacting the whole time, but you can't tell if it's if it's pain or if it's just like the realization that like this is happening and like he can feel it, but it doesn't hurt, and he's just like. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, god. oh like, shit! Oh you, shit! Oh, are you shit. okay? Does it hurt? He's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's wild. So, yeah. uh, so now that uh, everything, you know, the arm is off, he's sealed up. Off they go, uh, and they do end up meeting up with the Mercs. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, this is where we get our our moment of like. I felt like the whole Merc moment was rushed a little bit. Um, but I do understand its purpose. So we meet up with a, with a group, um, you know, there's a couple of things about them. So like one of them, you know, is like, uh, she cranks up music to like torture them in a way, uh, basically. Did you catch who that was? No. That was Sheila Vand, the girl from A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. No shit. She oh, like shit. she she has a speaking role like she's speaking in some alien language so like uh, it's like hard to tell that it's her and you don't really see her face but that was Sheila Vand. Damn. Well, yeah. good for her, dude. She she was phenomenal on a girl walks home alone at night. That's yeah. great. I did not notice that's who it was. I saw the name, and I was like, I recognize the name, but I don't exactly like. I couldn't, you know, it didn't jump ahead of me. Wild. Yeah. yeah she was. She was one of the the few people from the, the cast that I recognized when I looked them up, uh, and then of course uh, the the leader of the the Mercs, uh, Mikan Mikan Mikan, uh, is Amon Glover, who uh, uh, what else? I, oh, he was in uh, The Wire and Twelve Years a Slave and yeah, yeah um, Treme, uh, yeah. The Deuce, yeah, yeah. So he's he's been in a bunch of stuff too, uh, but again, you don't really get a chance to see his face too well because it's in the suit the entire time, uh, and that's a a really interesting uh, way to approach too, because you, you don't get the full effect of everyone's face acting in this. Uh, you yeah. really a lot of like body language and uh, it's just like you know the tilt of their head and stuff like that. Uh, uh, C and Ezra have these big bubble uh, helmets on, so you can see more of their faces and you see their interactions stuff like that. Uh, but everyone else, unless they have their helmet off, their face is essentially covered. And that really limits what you can get out of the the actor with you know like you know tone of voice and body language and again really really clever tactic. It was and and the other thing too that I think is really interesting is it also uh, almost served to be as like a class separation mm. um, because it it made me feel like the people with the bubble helmets maybe had older uh, uh, technology. You know we okay. see her with her older style headphones, you know more beat up suits, but then we see these mercs and they've got very slim militaristic looking headsets that serve like a very specific purpose. Mm -hmm. Their suits were a little more form fitting and slim. They were a little more um, like. Uh, you know, in a specific fashion, like they were probably all from the same line of clothing and probably fairly new, whereas theirs very much looked like, you know, they looked like a Carhartt jumpsuit, you know, whereas mm -hmm. these guys had something a little more, uh, you know, maybe high end or, or fashion forward. And I think that was an, also an interesting way yeah. to show the difference between the two characters, you know? Yeah. Um, which I thought was but really cool. Even like Ezra and number two, like their suits looked a bit more worn down and old, uh, indicating that maybe they've been stuck here for a while and just like scavenging, 
uh, you know, even Ezra, like his, his air filter is like completely shot. So whenever he's with someone else, he has to like couple up and uh, utilize their air filter through a hose. Yeah. Uh, so you get these like stages where like C and Damon's suits are a little bit newer looking, a little bit like less broken in, so to speak, but still that, you know, that, like you said, that kind of older, more like civilian tech. Uh, yeah. And then the more militarized streamlined ones for the the mercenaries yeah very cool so uh the mercenaries you know we're, we're at the point we see the guy in the cube that they're there to, to drop off and they're like okay start digging and you know first ezra's like hey so and he he uh, pretends to be damon obviously um and he was like hey so here's the deal though mm-hmm. like we'll do this for you but as an extra fee you need to get us off off of here like we we our ship is dead and we have no way of going back and they were like no like we can't do that and we're not going to do that and he's like well you need to and so eventually they work out a deal where they can do that you know uh see quick thinking is like oh i've seen my dad do this this and this and their tech person is like oh yeah we could totally do that mm-hmm. and he was like great okay now that we have an accord let's do this so off they go to start mining the clams uh and now ezra with only one arm uh, starts mining, you know, starts doing uh, the mining and uh, he messes up the first three. Um, and it's, you know, it's a big deal. And of course the mercs are like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And so one of them, you know, comes up and is like, hey, you know, what are you doing? And Ezra slams his face into the acid, basically burning through his uh, his suit and eventually to his face. You know, there, there becomes this big ordeal. Uh, Ezra and the girl, you know, they bounce out. Uh, but... Um, they're down, basically down to the last Merc um, after the, the cube guy gets out and he yes. starts uh, killing them. And uh, uh, Ezra ends up uh, running into Sheila Vand, I believe, to uh, Inuman. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And just as he's about to get her, she stabs him. And then he, you know, stabs her in the throat a bunch of times with the same tool that used to cut off his arm. And, uh, you know, this is it. So he's he's dying and only C is left. And, you know, he says to her, like, hey, you got to go get on this ship. Like, go, mm-hmm. you know, take take the jewels you have now. And, like, he's like, go, like, this is it. This is your moment. Leave me here. Um, so, again, it's that, like, moment of, like, I guess this is really his own moment of truth. Um, but I think, it you know, it just comes down to, like, he knows that this is it. He's he's done for. So I guess this is his redeeming act. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Like he killed her dad like three hours ago. So there's also like that. <laughs> I feel like th- this very much has that like frontier law sort of feel to it. Where like yeah, you know, you 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 move on from things real fast because it's it's survival. And if someone yeah. wrongs you, but then helps you, uh, you can at least have an uneasy truce, if not an actual friendship. And she does go back to the the Merc's camp and like grabs some medical supplies and she, you know, she douses him with the, the medicine to uh, clear the wound. And she you know, uses the foam to, to seal up a suit and like helps drag him to the escape pod. And that's, uh, that's the last we see is them kind of collapsed into the, uh, the escape pod with the, uh, the, the freighter ship in the, uh, in the view, uh, view, viewport. Yeah. It's called. I mean, it, it's not a windshield. It's not a windshield. There's no wind in space, so it's not a windshield. There's solar winds, but that doesn't count. It doesn't count. Um, but yeah, so that and then and then thus ends our movie. You know, we're we're left to wonder uh, basically what uh, what they're doing after the fact. Um, so should you watch this movie? Totally. Uh, yeah. I, I, there's no reason to not watch this movie, especially if you're a fan of sci-fi and if you're more of a fan of of story-driven sci-fi, much like uh, the film Sunlight or or other films like that. Like if you're like, I like sci-fi, but I don't want, you know, uh, I don't want Starship Troopers or, <laughs> you know, I don't want, How dare you, you know, laser beams and, and you know, aliens and, and stuff like that. Like I want, I want to be in the world, but I don't want to feel like I'm overwhelmed with special effects. Prospect is the film for you. Yeah. I mean, this, this felt as much like an art film as a sci-fi story. Uh, totally. And again, it's, it's a story that could have taken place anywhere and felt realistic. Uh, the setting didn't really matter uh, so much as the way that the characters react to their circumstances. Uh, and I think the acting in this movie is, is solid. 
and the story, the writing is fantastic. And yeah, I mean, this is absolutely a, a, a thumbs up. Watch this uh, from me. Cool. Um, so, uh, that being said, uh, thank you guys for, uh, um, listening to this episode or watching if you're on YouTube, uh, we super appreciate it. Of course, if you are on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe and share. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so Caleb, I actually don't even know what is the next movie we're going to talk about? What is the first up on our, uh, our request? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I thought so. That's why I asked. We are going to be watching. Oh, oh. Change the calendar. Uh, we will be watching Hard Ticket to Hawaii, as requested hey. by Julian. Hey, so. all right. Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Uh, uh, I'm down. This sounds uh, it sounds amazing. And uh, um, you'll be able to find that on TBTV. At least we hope that it'll still be there by the time we go to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Just praying for one week. Yep. <laughs> cool. Um, so, all right. Thanks a lot for joining us, everyone. And we will uh, catch you next time. father's tragic past, hidden in the adventures of a cartoon mouse. A cautionary tale on the dangers of temporal tourism. A woman searching for answers after the death of an old friend. This is the Storyteller series, a Night Shift Radio original. Every month we bring a new short story to life in a full cast audio drama. We publish a second exclusive story to our online print edition, and we give you a glimpse behind the pages with our author interview series. Subscribe to the Storyteller series wherever you listen to podcasts and visit nightshiftradio.com for more information.